0: This is Morgan Michael welcoming you to Kindsight 101, the podcast where you'll hear from world-renowned educational leaders about the mobilizing power of kindness. Together by challenging our assumptions and venturing beyond the status quo in education, we can make a big impact one small act at a time. In this episode, you'll learn the one surprising thing that this incredible principal did daily to transform the most violent and dangerous school in Philadelphia into a thriving culture of learning. This episode is sure to have you on the edge of your seat. Linda Clyatt wayman spent 20 years as a special educating teacher and served as principal to three Philadelphia schools and later went on to become the superintendent of schools. Clyatt wayman recently started a nonprofit that will support underserved students in Philadelphia. She is the author of Lead Fearlessly, Love Hard, Finding Your Purpose and Putting It to Work. For more information, visit my website, smallactbigimpact.com, and search for Episode 1, or check her out online at principalwayman.com. Thank you so much for listening. I want to thank you for the wonderful reviews that you've left for this podcast on iTunes. Your reviews make a big difference in helping other educators find this show. If you think that I'm doing good work here and you'd like others to get inspired and join our 21 Day Kindness Challenge and Movement, I'd love it if you would take a minute, head over to iTunes and leave a review. Thank you so much. Principal Wayman, it is such a pleasure to have you here on our Small Act, Big Impact Kindness podcast. Thank you very, very much for taking the time to join us today.
1: Oh, I'm, I'm delighted to be here. I'm very happy to, to do this.
0: I'm so excited to dig into your story a little bit. And I'd like to start, if we can, with how you found yourself at Strawberry Mansions High School, a persistently dangerous school. Uh, it had chained doors, a lot of violence. And overall, it seemed like an impossible task to become the principal of this really challenged school. Can you speak a little bit to your experience what brought you to the school, and a little bit about what gave you the power and the ability to turn this really difficult school around.
1: That's a good question. Well, it all started, uh, I was actually assistant superintendent for high schools in Philadelphia. I was the leader of all 52 high schools in Philadelphia at the time. And at the time, we were trying to merge three rival high schools because two schools had to close because of low enrollment, and we had to merge them into one particular school. There was a lot of story around why we had to do that, but we were faced with that decision. And so what had happened was we really had a very difficult time trying to find a principal for Strawberry Mansion. Mm. And because I was the leader Assistant superintendent for high schools, it was my task to find this principal. Mm-hmm. And so we looked everywhere for principal. We advertised in state, out of state. We did national searches and we offered a really competitive salary for principal of Strawberry Mansion. Mm-hmm. But there were no takers. No one wanted the school because they realized that those three the three schools that were coming together were known for their violence. So mm-hmm. nobody applied for the school. Oh man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so, you know, you spend a lot of time worrying about it and worrying about the kids that had to go into the situation and was actually forced into the situation. I just made a decision that if they had to go in there, then if I was the leader of all the high schools and then no one wanted the job, then I would just have to take the job as principal. Wow. And so one day I was walking into the school district building it wasn't something that i figured out i was going to do on my own i was actually walking into the school district building and i actually heard this voice mm-hmm. you know after deciding couldn't find national searches the, the principal um i actually went through all of my existing principals, and just find out well maybe i'll just move one principal from one school to another
2: mm-hmm.
1: and then i only found one taker there also
2: mm-hmm.
1: and so when she came into my office to show me this small device on her hip. And I noticed, and I asked her what it was. And she said it was a heart monitor. Oh dear. I, yeah, I was right back to where I started.
0: Right. And so getting
1: picking up on the story of that when I was walking into the school district building because I couldn't find a principal, I actually heard this voice say, you go, mm. you go. And at first I was like, I must be really hearing things. You know, I had a job that I loved. I enjoyed being a leader of all the high schools in Philadelphia and the whole thought of going to a high school to be principal is something I never thought of. Mm. But as days went on, I realized that the reason why I couldn't find a principal was because it, it had to be my assignment. And so that's why I went to strawberry Mansion. How I got
0: there. Wow. That's an incredible story. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I, I think what struck me with that story, because I've, I've heard snippets of it before, but it's such a pleasure to hear it from you. Such an honor. Um, I guess on some level it must have felt like a gamble. You were high up in the hierarchy of, you know, as a superintendent of schools, which I'm sure wasn't the goal of it. But, but really, you have you've arrived at this place where it's you're in a very successful position, and ultimately, that kind of a position can insulate you from the real problems that are associated with these schools and teaching, and and it it might feel very uh, difficult to jump back into that role of. Principleship, almost like a risk did you view it that way as a risk or what compelled you to kind well, of jump into this potentially high stakes situation what if you were unsuccessful and maybe people might have questioned your leadership or something like that did that ever factor in
1: no mm. I, you know it's funny that you would say that because people often would say that to me mm. what what made what made you do something so crazy and I, <laughs> I even I, I I heard it that way well you do that? And for the very reasons you just mentioned, mm-hmm. what if you would have gotten in there and it was a disaster? What if you really couldn't do it? What if, what if, what if? But I tell people i never thought about any of that. Mm. I, I never even thought about leaving a job as assistant superintendent. Cause I, again, I was one of the, I was the only female leader of the high schools in the history of Philadelphia.
2: Wow. So
1: I never thought about any of that. Mm -hmm. The only thing I thought about was there was no principal for this merger. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And I didn't. And so I didn't think about what if I failed. Now, it was very interesting because when I made the decision, I actually did call a meeting with all of my high school principals Mm -hmm. and I got them into the room. And actually, when I said to them that I, I have no choice. I, I am responsible for sixty-one thousand children, mm-hmm. and sixty thousand children have a leader, and one thousand children do not. Mm-hmm. I have no choice. I have to go to Strawberry Mansion. Now, did they, they look at me like I was? They were. They were totally shocked. <laughs> they were like, "They was like, really? You know?" And so, and, and so, I didn't think about anything. I didn't even think about Morgan whether I could do it or not. Mm-hmm. I only thought about. The children happened to go in there, and so someone had to go in there with them. That's the only thing I thought about.
0: And that is it truly, that's true leadership. When you don't think about yourself and you're serving others first because you know that it's the right thing to do, and you know that there's nobody else for the job, and it doesn't even cross your mind that it feels like a personal gamble, which is such an incredible thing. And that's why I'm so excited to have you on this show because I think... Mm -hmm. What you're able to provide is a little bit of insight into what it is that truly matters. So I'm sure that listeners, and I know for myself, it was really interesting to hear what it felt like on that first day walking in, what was running through your head, and what was your experience?
1: Well, you know, the the first day that I entered the school as principal, you know, i have been in the school before, but when I went in there as principal, at first a shock, I had a wave of emotions, mm. you know, thinking to myself again, could I actually be a principal again?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, that, that's when it actually hit me. Can I be a principal? Again, I've been assistant superintendent for two years. I had led 52 principals. Actually, can I go back to lead te- leading teachers? Mm-hmm. And lead, that was my first because instinct. Oh, how could I do that? And so then as I walked in toward the building, as the principal, yet a different lens as principal, I saw so many things that I thought that my team and I missed when I was assistant superintendent. Oh, interesting. Every, yeah, everything became so clearer to us, to me, as to little things that I missed. Like, how did I miss that, that, that the school was in such bad shape before we even did the merger? How, mm. did, I, how did I sort of miss that? And I felt like I was missing things. So I saw like, discolored bulletin boards. I actually saw bulletin boards with no messages on it. I saw piles of trash in classrooms that I was really never directed to mm. when I was a superintendent. I saw piles and piles of materials that were stored there by the district. But I never noticed that before. Mm-hmm. So I, I began to notice everything that I maybe it should have of of notice before, but I realized the reason why I didn't notice it because it was so at 52 schools. So I wouldn't have noticed a bulletin board in one per se, but now that I was coming to take the school over myself and I realized everything had to be transformed. I noticed everything, um, that needed to be changed.
0: Interesting. And probably on some level, the subconscious messaging that those items like the trash and the the bulletin boards in disrepair that that would send to not only students but also to the faculty as well that 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 sort of sends this message that somehow you're you're maybe not worthy of the attention or or whatever it is would you agree
1: oh I absolutely agree I mean you know and I used to always tell my staff that once I got into strawberry mansion you know Uh, Some of my staff understood because they actually followed in a strawberry mansion, but some people really never understood why I was such a fanatic about bulletin boards. (laughs) I I really was. I was was like a a crazy person (laughs) when it came to bulletin boards because I used to always say that on those bulletin boards should be positive messages Mm. to kids every day about why they're special. The bulletin board should be learning tools all the time. Everything in a building in a school should be a place where kids could learn and view different things about the world around them and being strong people. I always wanted everything in a school. I wanted the kids always to know that we thought about every detail because they were important.
0: Oh, that's such an important thing. Yeah. 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 I want to talk a little bit about that assembly, that gathering that you had with students. Um, and I can't remember if it was actually at Strawberry Mansions. I almost think it was at a different school before that, where a student called you out or called the school out and said, well, actually, I'd love for you to tell the story, but but sort of challenged the authenticity of the school and, and the adults in the building and really caused you to question your approach and to rethink the way that you saw yourself as a leader. Can you speak to that?
1: Absolutely. Before I actually went into Strawberry Mansion, I had been a principal of two low-performing schools prior to going into Strawberry Mansion and prior to being assistant superintendent for high schools. And so on my very first day as a principal, 10 years before I went into Strawberry Mansion, I, when I walked in on my very first day as a principal ever, I was actually in my office, I remember arriving there really early that morning and I was sitting in my office and I heard this loud commotion. So I went outside my office and much to my surprise, it was this huge fight happening. Mm-hmm. And I was running an all girls school at the time. So, and all of the girls were just it was just fighting and fighting and fighting. And they're, they're actually, believe it or not, parents included in this fight.
2: Oh my and so I'm
1: thinking to myself, what in the world is going on here? And so what happened was I went and I grabbed one of the girls trying to break up the fight. Mm. And the girl turned around and she said some unkind words to me, like, <laughs> you know, like, you know, who do you think you are? But she didn't say it that nice. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember saying to her that I'm the principal, but she didn't know that mm-hmm. because that was my first day and I never even gathered everyone together to introduce myself. Mm-hmm. So after that happened, I took everybody into the auditorium
2: mm-hmm.
1: and, you know, I, I actually couldn't believe what I witnessed as I stood on the stage because the kids came running in just in the most disorganized fashion you ever imagined in your life. Mm. And the teachers just stood there, just shocked and surprised. Matter of fact, when I called the assembly program, one teacher told me, well, you really don't want to do that. Mm. And, and I really didn't understand what she meant by that. Right. And so I put everybody in, but once I got everybody in the auditorium and I saw the behavior of the students, then I understood why she said that. <laughs> so, right, so we, we got them all settled down. A girl, and I'm introducing, you know, guys, this is what we're going to do. This is going to be the new rules. This is what I want you to learn in school Why I'm here. This is what I'm committed to doing. And it was this girl in, in all the way in the back of the auditorium. And, and, and she stands up, and she's trying to get my attention. Miss, miss! Miss, miss, but because she wasn't following my rules of wait your turn, mm-hmm. I, sort of, I sort of didn't want to answer her at the moment. Mm-hmm. And so finally, like I said before, our eyes met each other. And then she said, miss, miss, why do you keep calling this a school? Mm-hmm. This is not a school. Mm-hmm. And at the time, I froze. And I said, oh, my God, that's it. That's it. The reason why these children behave this way in school is because they don't see it as a school. Mm -hmm. And she even would have, I went one step further and I said to her, well, then what is it then? Because I I didn't really understand what she was actually saying. Mm -hmm. I said, well, what is it then, sweetheart? She said, oh, it's just a hangout spot. Mm -hmm. I said, a hangout spot? (laughs) I, I couldn't believe it. But it was, it was so many answers. It was an answer to so many questions that I had my entire career about low-performing schools and why schools were not safe for children.
2: Mm-hmm. Because
1: they didn't see them as, as, as schools. Mm-hmm. And so that set, that actually set my vision and set me on this path to, okay. While I'm working in underserved schools, while I'm working with kids in poverty, the number one thing I have to do is make them understand that this is a school, Mm -hmm. and what happens in school, and if they do right by school, what school could do for their future. I had to make them see that, so I set out to be my goal.
0: Wow. And that's so incredible, because I, I I think that's so true of many institutions, is that really the heart and soul of what education is is simply not coming through in terms of how it's interpreted by the children and how they experience it and so I guess the the really big question is how did you make it become a school what did you do and how what guided you to stay true to your values about what education means for students and what what sort of helped you to to create and turn this school around well
1: for some people it may sound like I'm being is being very simple, but it was nowhere near simple. And, and I'll answer your question first by just showing them an, a lot of love. Mm. And it all started too. I always got a story for everything, it all started and there was another assembly program. And we had called the kids in. We actually called the kids in for an assembly program, an anti violence assembly actually. It was all around anti-violence, and I really didn't believe really in anti-violence assemblies because I never really understood the right. underlying message when you're in a violent neighborhood. Yes, but because I reached out for some assistance from community members, I didn't want to. I needed so much help in this school, and I didn't want to burn any bridges. So I said, okay, well, I'll, you can have the the, the the assembly program. Sure. And so we came in, and the kids were watching something in this anti-violence assembly that was really pretty upsetting, very, very upsetting. And because of the times right now, Maureen, I don't even want to mention what they were seeing.
2: Sure.
1: But they were looking at something that was really made me sit in the auditorium and cry, and my teachers also. Hmm. But it did not affect them at all. Hmm. And so when it was over, we brought the kids into, I, I mean, I took a couple of kids into a roundtable discussion. And I said, can you please tell me? How you're able to look at something so horrendous and it don't affect
0: you. And this was, if we can clarify, I know you don't want to go into too many details, but it was no. essentially student-on-student student violence that they it were was seeing. student-on-student student yeah.
1: violence. Yes, yeah. it was. Yeah. Horrendous violence. Student-on-student. Mm-hmm. Student. And I said, oh, my God, why in the world is this not affecting you like it's affecting me mm-hmm. it's affecting the teacher? And I'm looking at these kids, I like, put it, like almost, must matter. Yes. And so one of the students, really nice girl, she says to me, oh, Miss Wayman, do you really think that's something? Hmm. We see that violence like every day on the street where we live. Wow. And I said, oh my goodness. They can't feel for others because of their own trauma. Right. That's what this is. And so we set out and I set out to say, okay. The only thing that's going to reverse this trauma and get them to feel for other people and be kind and nice to one another Mm -hmm. was to show them what love really looked like. And so that's what I started doing. And Mm -hmm. it all started every day with morning announcements and afternoon announcements. If nobody told you they loved you today, you remember I do. And I always will. Mm -hmm. And I said it every day, every day, every day. And so we're in the hallway. I would even say love you. (laughs) I love love you baby. I love you. And of course they would look at me and say to me, you don't love me. Get out of here. (laughs) You know, they would say say that, you know, yes. but it was true. So really love was the focus on love. Like to every activity, every time we tried to hire a teacher, every time we put a program in the place, we kept thinking about that word love. Mm -hmm. Would the kids love this? Would the kid love this teacher? Would the kids accept and love this course? And so everything we did was centered around just that, because we knew that the kids did not have a lot of experience with love. And you may say, well, how do you know that? Mm-hmm. And it's because they told us.
0: Mm-hmm. Wow. So, yeah. That's incredible. And I think I'd love for you, I think it's so important, and I agree. You've spoken about you know the morning announcements you've spoken about the assemblies that power of of assembling children together to really yes. give them a message and the power behind that because i've seen in my own experience as an educator that sometimes we we don't take full advantage of these opportunities and so i'd love to hear even more i know that you actually went into the lunchroom and and continued to to connect with them can you give teachers and and maybe even some leadership some ideas of ways that you were able to connect them beyond the, the or connect with them pardon me beyond the announcements beyond the group assemblies how did you connect with students especially the really the really challenging ones who may have witnessed or been had an experience with trauma that just makes them really tough nuts to crack can you speak to that a little bit uh,
1: absolutely and i the one thing that i really want your listeners to understand is that the way actually to connect with these children is that you have to listen closely, you have to listen carefully, and you have to listen completely. And the reason why I say those terms like that is because if you listen completely, you're able to see and hear what they're not saying. Mm. And so if you spend time with children, you got to spend time with them. Mm -hmm. And when I say children, Morgan, I am talking about also this include high school students. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of times we start out doing this in the lower grades, but we think they don't need this in high school. Mm -hmm. They need it badly in high school. High school kids need to know that we hear them and more importantly, that we see them. Mm -hmm. So I would spend time in the lunchroom and that's where i would get all of my information. <laughs> I would i would go table to table to table to table to table and just listen to conversations. Mm-hmm. Just conversations. And then when things would strike me as odd, it was i didn't have to read about it on a tweet and i didn't have to look in a facebook page. I said, "Oh, why did he just say that his father died?" Mm-hmm. Mm, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. And so i would go to the next table but before the day was over, I would connect with those kids on a personal level and say, Johnny, when lunch is over, meet me in my office. Now, they really don't really know why they were meeting me in my office. Mm-hmm. But I would dig deeper with them about how they were feeling about maybe their father dying or the trauma happening. Because what I wanted them to understand is that I heard you. Mm-hmm. But more importantly, I saw you. And I see something in your behavior that just doesn't seem a little right. Hmm. And so come and talk to me about whether I'm seeing and hearing you correctly. And usually, Morgan, when they're in my office and I'm alone with them, Mm -hmm. they tell me things really that I originally originally didn't see. Mm -hmm. But because I dig deeper. I got to the truth, their two feelings and their true gut. Mm-hmm. And they would tell me astonishing things that they were up to, what they were considering doing to themselves and others because mm-hmm. of their trauma, mm-hmm. and that I could go and immediately get them help. Wow. So you have to spend time with children. Mm-hmm. You have to listen to children. You have to keep telling them that you love them. You have to notice what they are not saying. And the only way you can notice what they're not saying is you got to continue to question them on a very loving and acceptable manner. And I have never found a child who, if you ask the right question and you tell them how much you care, no matter how long it takes in that day, they will find a way to tell you, I need some help, Ms. Wayman.
0: Oh, Wow. I mean, I'm just nodding yeah. along with you. I just think that is such an important message. And I think ultimately at the heart of it, that is that is what true kindness and empathy and compassion is, is this ability to see and hear and understand other people and to give them that floor. And I, think you, I just think it's such a, an important message for people to hear because it doesn't have to be a really complicated system that you integrate within your school. It can be... The simple act. Well, it's actually complicated in terms of you've got to make time, you've got to commit to that, you've got to, you've got to put the emotional, um, you know, the emotional work into it, but that that is at the heart of what actually changes a culture is when we as leaders and teachers are able to see and hear and seek to understand our students and teach them to do the same for one another, that that ultimately shifts the culture. And I'd like to talk a little bit about this idea that hurt people hurt people. Mm. How does understanding the motivations behind some of their superficial actions kind of enable you to lead not only your staff better, but to enable you to lead your students in a more effective way?
1: Uh, hurt people do hurt people. Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes hurt people really don't mean to hurt people.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and, and so what I used to tell my staff all of the time, we would all get together and they would have, we would have staff meetings all of the time. And and teachers would voice this type of stuff. Ms. Wayman, but he did so-and-so. He did so-and-so. She did so-and-so. And And I would always want to to try to say, I would always say to them, but why? Mm -hmm. But why did they do it? Mm -hmm. It has to be a reason why. And so let's try to work with the young people to say, yes, yes, they did this. But once we figure out what their story is mm-hmm. and we figure out the why, then we can begin to understand what they did, what they did not mean to do. I never had a child that did something that we thought that was unacceptable to someone else
2: mm-hmm.
1: and not feel remorse for at some level later. Mm-hmm. And usually what would happen is they would cry actually.
2: Hmm.
1: And they would say to me, oh God, Ms. Wayman, I didn't mean to do that, I'm so sorry, hmm. I'm so sorry Miss Wayman, I did not mean to do that. And so what I would go back and tell my teachers is, what did we miss?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: My God, what did we miss? We missed something. We missed something, we missed something. So what I would try to tell my teacher all the time is, let's just try to pay attention a little more. Mm-hmm. and and try to understand and try to prevent the hurt on other people. But we cannot prevent the hurt on other people if we don't attend to the people who's doing the hurting. Yes. You got to attend to the people who's doing the hurting. And they give off, Morgan, so many soul clues. Mm-hmm. Now, we don't mean to miss it. We really don't. Mm-hmm. You know, but we miss it by just not saying hello, why do you have that on today when you're supposed to have something else on today? hmm Why do you not have your reading book and you're supposed to have your reading book? Mm-hmm. Why did you wear black in here today if our school colors is red? Mm-hmm. These are all subtle clues really to make someone go, hmm, They didn't have that on. And so I would tell my teachers to ask the question, Mm -hmm. why did you wear red and you're supposed to wear black? Mm -hmm. And I'm going to tell you, it would snowball into this big thing about, and it could be from, I didn't have any clean clothes. My mother wasn't home to wash. I'm homeless. Mm -hmm. Wow. So I'm saying all that to say, Morgan, Mm -hmm. hurt people don't really want to hurt people. Mm -hmm. hurt people hurt people because they need help yeah they need us to pay attention a little more and they need us to question and then maybe we could stop a lot of things that is happening
0: that's so interesting and i think it's again such an important thing for for people to understand that sometimes when we react to the symptoms of the hurt, that really it's such an ineffective way of approaching it because those symptoms are often a way of crying for help. And yes. so I'd like to talk to you a little bit about, you know, cause you were saying about teachers sort of bringing this up, often mm-hmm. we we talk about the, the fact that the system is broken And I know Les Brown says, he's a motivational speaker, he says, it doesn't matter what happens to you, what matters is what are you going to do about it. So this has been a really important thing in my own life that kind of Mm. guides me, you know, and I know that you have a slogan around that as well, that we sort of have to accept the reality and then move Mm. forward. And I think that that applies to the way that educators can approach education, but also to the way that students can reframe their own stories to move forward. So can you speak to your slogan about accepting, accepting what, what is and moving forward?
1: Absolutely. My most impactful slogan I think that I've, I've used over my career has always been, so what now what?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: A lot of people actually believe that slogan started actually with adults, but it did not. The slogan actually started with a young man who came to talk to me one day when I was a teacher many years ago. And this student would come to school very tired, always sleepy, always hungry. He was actually also very unkempt. His clothes was never clean. Mm -hmm. And he was in middle school. And a lot of ugly things had happened to this kid. Mm -hmm. Lots of ugly things. And so when he was sitting, tell me all of this. I would sit and I would listen very, very intently to everything he had to say, and I would actually watch him cry, actually, mm. and I would actually cry with him. But what I ultimately had to say to him, which was very, very painful, but very lovingly, I would say, "So what now, what? Mm. All of that baby has happened. All of that has happened." You're 13 years old. All the things you're telling me right now has happened. And as much as I love you, I can't change it. Mm -hmm. I can't change it. I can't go back in time. You can't go back in time. But what I can tell you is that you must focus on the now what. Mm -hmm. Now what are you going to do? Now what, what goes on from this point? And what I would tell them, let's try focusing right here on education. Because education education will turn your so what into an incredible now what. Hmm. So let's just focus here, focus here. Yes, we know that's the driving force of of the things that you have. Instead of using the so what as a reason not to do stuff, let's use the so what as a reason to do it. Hmm. So because you're homeless, because nobody cared about you, because all these awful things happen you how what are you going to do now different in your adult life because i would always tell them you can't do anything about your childhood mm-hmm. but you got a lot. Like it you got a lot like to do about your adulthood yes so how are we going to use it to fuel your adulthood for the positive mm-hmm. and that morgan seemed to always gain so much traction
2: mm-hmm. and
1: to the point that i saw a kid one time that was in his very classroom many many years later and I was walking down Germantown Avenue and thought off. It was a grown—he's a grown man
2: now—and
1: hmm. and I heard him say, "So what now, what?" Wow. And so I turned around because I knew I, that was something that I always said. But he was a grown man, hmm. and I looked at him and I said, "Who are you?" Hmm. He said, "I'm someone." He said, "I'm, I'm, I'm Edward." All I right. said, oh "My God." He said, "Ms. Wayman, I do this now." I sell clothes on, you know, and I, I work at a store. I got a good living. He said, Ms. Wayman, I was incarcerated, though.
2: Mm.
1: He said, and so what now what changed my life around even when I was incarcerated? Mm-hmm. Realizing all the things do happen, but now you got to turn them feel good. So it took him full circle. It took all the kids in that class to be full circle. Mm-hmm. But they finally got to, I got to use all that for positive.
0: Wow. So, I've got chills. (laughs) That's incredible. And it must be so, so rewarding to hear that these words that you believe in, you know, and these values that you believe in so deeply for them to connect and resonate with kids in that way. I just, I just can't imagine how that must feel. Um, I would like to talk a little bit about your own journey and how, because you strike me as someone who has so much conviction, so much integrity, and your leadership ability in terms of how you're able to motivate and mobilize students and teachers to see your vision is incredible. And you have not had an easy journey yourself. Um, As an African-American woman, you were born into poverty, and There were lots of roadblocks in the way that could have stopped you from going ahead, going to college, doing your master's, becoming a teacher, principal, superintendent, and now, you know, the head of business, uh, business consultation company. I mean, you're incredibly, incredibly successful. Um, What has been your self-talk and what has propelled you into this ambition?
1: Well, well, I don't. (laughs) Well, this I always tell this story, actually, because i all only ever wanted to do was be a teacher
2: mm-hmm.
1: so all of this other stuff Morgan has spiraled out of me wanting to be a teacher right. um and, and and it all actually started years ago, years and years ago, I look back on it one I had an incredible mother, mm-hmm. and even though she was raising my sister and I my myself and my two sisters alone, she always valued education
2: mm-hmm.
1: and even though she always would say that, you know, I have, you know, my mother always worked, always had a job. but She was one of those people the working poor, raising three kids alone. You never really had enough. Mm-hmm. But she would always say, go to school, go to school, go to school, go to school. And so when I went off to high school, I, I went also attended one of these schools like my kids attend today, which will be called a low performing school. Mm. And I didn't learn much in high school. And I didn't really understand. I didn't learn much in high school until I got to college. Right. And I I didn't really know I didn't know until (laughs) until I was failing out of college. And my roommate said, why don't you know this stuff? Right. And so from that point on, I told myself that I wanted to be a teacher because I never wanted anybody else to experience college the way I experienced college. Mm -hmm. And I wanted kids to know that education really could change their life. So I don't know how I, you know, I know how, but you got to be spiritual and believe in faith to know how I got to this point that people think I've had this incredibly, um, this wonderful career, Mm -hmm. but I never, this was not my path that I laid out for myself. Mm -hmm. It was not the path that I laid out for myself that I would ever even leave the classroom. Mm -hmm. I never wanted to leave the classroom. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: I stayed there 20 years. I was totally fine being a teacher. And and then circumstances led me to the principalship, the assistant superintendent, and then to decide later on that I had done all of these roles. Now God wants you to use your voice to do different things and want is to take care of these children and tell people why it is important that we must love these children much better than we're doing today.
0: Yes, I yeah. think yeah, and and it sounds as though it came always from a really altruistic place of this is your passion your your really like your soul purpose right and and connecting to that and following the string that led you in whatever capacity that you could be a teacher because i would say you're still a teacher you're nice. a teacher on a really grand scale where you're able to affect not just the people in your class but the people who are served by many different school districts across North America. So I think that's such an incredible gift that you're able to do, and still still be a teacher. So I yes, think that's that's wonderful. Um, I would like to to touch a little bit on positive discipline and and the idea of the positive discipline model that you implemented within. Um, some of your high schools and and within the districts that you were a superintendent to. Because I can hear right now many teachers going, okay, love, yes, all right, Mm -hmm. and listen. And what do I do when someone does X, Y, and Z? So what would you say to, you know, it could be a principal or a teacher who obviously has to deal with in a very real way some of the behaviors that come out of this trauma or come out of the mm-hmm. attention-seeking, what do we do to address those behaviors in a really appropriate way and do so in a loving way? Can you speak to that? Yes, I will. Thank you. Because I,
1: I do get this question all the time.
0: I bet. <laughs> all, of the, all of this love and all of this
1: listening is centered around a school-wide discipline system
2: mm.
1: now that's was that's the very heart of what happened here what happened here is there is a system for how kids are to behave in school and in class so the teachers that are listening and administrators have to be listening and say what is your school-wide policy on discipline mm-hmm. what are the rules of the school
2: mm-hmm.
1: what are the consequences for the, the break in in breaking the rules and what are your positive rewards for when they do not. Mm -hmm. Every classroom I've ever was in charge of and every school I was ever in charge of, we had a set of rules and we called them non-negotiable rules. Mm -hmm. And there were not many, there should never be more than five rules for children. And they should be rules that are tangible rules, meaning no fighting. Mm -hmm. But what a lot of teachers usually say Let's be nice to each other. Mm -hmm. Now, the kids don't, there's a lot of definitions for nice to each other. Sure. (laughs) It has to be concrete rules. There will be no fighting in this class. There will be no eating or chewing gum in this class. Mm -hmm. There will be no using the cell phone in this class. There has to be five tangible rules that you can see. And those rules are based on school-wide, or what you think will hold the whole school together, mm-hmm. or your individual classroom. Right. After you come up with these five rules, of course, you have a discussion with school leadership if you're a teacher. Mm-hmm. And you say, listen, these are the five rules I've just come up with for my class. Can you support me with these rules?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Can you support me around if they break the rule, i got to call their parents? Can you support me around the rule that they did something really bad they may have to have a detention? Mm-hmm. Can you support me around the rule that they did something really egregious and needs to be suspended for? Or do you need me to adjust this, these rules in order for you to support me?
2: Mm-hmm. Now
1: after they do that, before, before they lay out the entire plan, they talk to the children. They say, listen, kids, I'm coming up with a school-wide or a classroom-wide discipline plan. Can you tell me some things you like? Tell me some things you like to do what do you what do you, what do you like mm-hmm. you know and sometimes kids go well i like popcorn well we like free time in the gym
2: mm-hmm.
1: we like an extra five minutes for recess oh you do Oh, okay well <laughs> so you write these things down and those are the things that you present to the students which you're playing. you say well these are the rules if you follow these rules look at all these great things you're going to have Mm-hmm. Really, Miss Wayman? If, no, if we don't break the rule, we get to have five minutes extra recess? Yes!
2: Mm-hmm. But
1: guys, I do also want you to know, if you break the rule, these are some things that may occur to you. Mm-hmm. You have to be transparent with children. Mm-hmm. They have to know what it is you expect from them. It can't be this thing that's in the clouds that only you understand. Yes. It has to be something concrete. That they understand and you understand, and then you're able to coexist together in the classroom. Right. I, I would have small rules like uh, I'll be a very simple one about about the trash can. Mm-hmm. I used to be very particular about where I placed my trash can. <laughs> and why, why? Because I never wanted children to touch things on my desk. Sure. So the the, the trash can was not near my desk? Right. So the rule: was you don't touch Ms. Wayman's desk because you have no reason to come near Ms. Wayman's desk because the trash can's over there. <laughs> simple, simple
2: things.
1: Yes. Morgan, it is simple to say, but it's very hard to do. Yes. Only because we lack consistency in what we say and do. Right. We don't, we don't follow through on anything. Yes. And so the kids realize you're not going to follow through because you didn't vet the plan before you said it. Mm -hmm. You didn't get support from the parents. You didn't get support from the administration before you rolled it out. Mm
0: -hmm. And so now the whole plan is kaboom. Right. But if you follow through a consistency, it works. Yes. And I think that kids are always searching for those really clear boundaries and they're going to keep pushing until they get them. So I completely agree. And I think it's such an important piece to this loving approach is that obviously, in order for that to be effective, one has to have really strong structures in place that are very, very easy to understand so that students can have a safe environment. Because sometimes we see the loving approach going too far the other way, where it's way too lax. And have you seen some of the negative effects of that in Ooh. in play? Yes,
1: I have, Morgan. <laughs> and, and I always tell my teachers, they need a teacher. And I was at all the time. They don't need They don't, they don't necessarily need a friend. Mm -hmm. They need a teacher. Cause I used, it was the time where there are teachers who love the kids a lot, Morgan. Mm -hmm. They really do love them to the point that they were counselors and not teachers. Right. And I would say to them, guys, listen, you are supposed to do both. Mm -hmm. You are supposed to keep them high expectations you are supposed to expect that they do what you ask them to do. Mm-hmm. You are supposed to push them to heights that they don't think they're supposed to reach without taking their excuses for why they cannot. So do not sit in the classroom and listen to all these stories. Oh, Miss Wayman, but I didn't have this last night, so that's why I didn't do my homework. Miss mm-hmm. Wayman, my mom didn't wash my shirt. That's the reason why I didn't follow this All the excuse, and then you go as a teacher. Okay, baby, it's okay. You didn't do your homework. I understand. No, you don't. Mm -hmm. You can you can understand, Mm -hmm. but you could also say, okay. Now, because you didn't do that last night, you have to do that and this tonight, Mm -hmm. or you have to say that I need ten minutes of your recess Mm -hmm. because I need this done. So you're understanding, but you're not. You're not letting them use it as an excuse not to move themselves forward. Yes. Because I've seen that from so many educators. It's like it's like, oh God, guys, I understand you care. Yes. I would tell my staff, I'm with you guys. But a fifty minute conversation in a classroom is not teaching them the skills they need to learn and to grow.
0: Yes. And I really appreciate that too, because I think I think it can be very easy to go down that road. And like you said, it's really not building in that structure that actually places a lot of value on their capabilities. And so when we send them that message, like you're off the hook, you don't have to do your homework or whatever, it's sort of sending that that signal that they're not capable of achieving those high expectations, which is really kind of a negative thing in the end. So I think it's an important point to speak to. I would like to talk a little bit about some of your initiatives now. And I know that you are involved in some consulting and designing pro professional development. What is the most important message for improving a school climate that you have given to, to teachers and educators?
1: <clears throat> well, that goes along with my first little bit that I love. If you're going to lead, lead. Mm. And by that, I mean, you you have to be self-aware in a classroom, in a school. You have to know what your strengths are, what your weaknesses are, what your emotions are, and what your beliefs are about the kids that you are teaching. Mm. If you understand these things, then you, you can create a situation where all kids can learn. So I try to talk to people and let people understand that leadership is important. A school cannot run effectively without an effective leader and a classroom cannot run without an effective teacher. Mm -hmm. And so I talk to leaders about having courage. I talk to leaders about having to be able to uh, believe in what they say and do what they say. I talk to teachers about being um, but being organized about being, having everything planned about understanding time management. So I talk to a lot of teachers and educators about what the importance of leadership. Yeah. So that's mainly what I talk about because a class is only disastrous is when the teacher is not leading, and the school is only disaster when the principal is not leading. Yeah. That, that's the way I see it. I, I'm sorry.
0: I agree. I think that's a really interesting point. I think that's that that is truly what leadership is, isn't it? Yes, it
1: is. So
0: Principal Wayman, before we get to our rapid fire questions, I'd like to talk just for a slight moment about your most common feedback as a consultant. What do you see in ineffective schools that really jump out at you and you see it time and time again? What is sort of one simple or a couple of simple things that you see that would be easy enough fixes for leadership to take within a school to turn it around?
1: Well, I, I believe, well, not I believe I know what I have seen at, when I was assistant superintendent
2: mm-hmm.
1: and when I was a, a principal, that the one thing that, that led to underperforming schools is a couple of things. One Principals delegate too much of their work away. Mm. Two, a lot of administrators don't take the time to actually see what is happening thoroughly in the classroom. Yes. They don't take the opportunity or they don't sit and look and see and give teachers feedback about their planning. They don't pay close attention to curriculum mm. and what should be taught and how it should be taught. Mm-hmm. They don't address the needs of all kids in the classroom by giving, by providing ways to give individualized instruction.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: uh, what else? I'm trying to think of so many things that I see. I, I, I Again, the whole notion of taking the leadership role in the school.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: What I also see a lot of is that, um, which I, in all the low performance I've, I've worked in, My major thing was around, what I saw was around curriculum and learning Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and planning. And the last thing was actually around how to set up a school, a positive school discipline plan. Mm -hmm. If they have a teaching and learning plan, if they have a school safety plan Mm -hmm. that involves school wide rules, a way for kids to voice their opinions about things Mm -hmm. and then. Then it would lead to a more cohesive school, yes. and I hope I answered your question. But that, that, that's what I've seen. No, but that it all really can't do. It.
0: No, that's great. Yes, absolutely. Thank you. So before we get into the rapid fire questions, are there any other messages that you haven't had a, a chance to to articulate that you'd like to say before before we jump into the next portion?
1: Well, the questions were very good, Morgan. I Thank think you. you sort of I think you sort of covered it all. I, I just want your listeners to understand. That is when, when you work with kids who, go, who must attend underperforming school or low-performing schools or kids that live in poverty or working with kids in general,
2: mm.
1: I, I want them to understand that they all come with unique gifts
2: mm-hmm.
1: and they all on some level or another have some issues and some problems and that we must take the opportunity to try to figure out what makes them uniquely them, and then if we can do that, we can make sure we have kids that that, that attend school that enjoy school and kids that feel safe in school.
0: Mm-hmm. I think that's so important. Thank you for saying that. Mm-hmm. Could you define what kindness means to you? Kindness. What kindness?
1: Ooh. <laughs> kindness. Wow. Kindness means noticing other people, hmm. I believe that I, I'm, if you're kind to me, you notice me. If you're kind to me, you speak to me. If you're kind to me, you encourage me. If you're kind to me, you see the gifts in me. Mm-hmm. If you're kind to me, you see what my contribution to the world can be. That's what I think kindness is to me.
0: Wow, that's that's really powerful. What book or books have you gifted most often to people? And you can talk about your own book here too if you want. Okay,
1: good. Well, I, I do have a book. Leave fancy, love hard, but that's not the book I've gifted most often over my career. Hmm. The gift that I, the book that I have gifted most often over my career is actually a children's book, actually, hmm. and and that book is a little engine that could. Hmm. And I have given that book to my leadership teams. I have given that book to my own children. I have given that book to educators, to principals, the little engine that could. Because and I, I, I believe in this book because this engine believed they couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. At first, they, couldn't, they They didn't think they could do it. They didn't think they could get over that hill. And then just by encouraging themselves and people encouraging them, saying to themselves, I think I can. I think I can. I think I, I think I can. And so they did. And so that is the book I have gifted most often because I think it encourages people of all ages, the little engine that could.
0: It's a good one. It's so, (laughs) it's so important to keep that perseverance in the back of your head and never give up. So I think that's a great illustration of that for sure. What one skill or superpower does a teacher need to lead with in order to be effective?
1: Confidence. Hmm. I think teachers have to be confident. I think teachers have to understand that confident doesn't mean they have to know everything. I think teachers have to understand that confident means sometimes I may have to be a little vulnerable
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, to get to the next level with my students. But knowing in the end, I am the teacher mm-hmm. and I am very confident in my, my abilities. I actually know what I'm doing up here in front mm-hmm. of this classroom. Mm-hmm. I know what I want you to learn. I know what I want you to do. I know what I want to be able to do. But I also want them to be confident enough and vulnerable enough to let they can also learn from their own students to help them move to the next level. Yes. So I want to I want them to understand that kids ultimately actually do have the answer. Mm -hmm. But if we have to embed that time in our curriculum and what we're teaching to listen more, Mm -hmm. that'll help us to become more competent, more confident to be a, a better educator that we want to be down the road.
0: Yes. You know I mean? yeah. yeah. And no. what, what one skill or superpower does a principal need to lead with in order to be effective? And for some people it's been the same and for others, it's been a different answer. So I'm interested to know what it is for you.
1: Courage. Mm-hmm. Principals need courage because in schools, but I would always tell my principals and all Teachers and staff will only do what you allow them to do.
2: Hmm.
1: They will only do what you allow them to do. And so therefore, if you expect high things from your staff, they will rise to the occasion every time. Hmm. But sometimes that takes courage to tell teachers that we're going off on a different path, guys, and we must change the curriculum. It takes courage to tell a teacher, I understand that you know your content, but let me explain to you how you could better have taught that and give effective feedback. Mm -hmm. And a lot letting teachers, principals understand that feedback is what teachers need to grow. Mm -hmm. But that takes courage. So a lot of teachers, a lot of principals will not give the feedback that they're actually supposed to give the teachers thinking that it may in some way offend the teacher, Mm -hmm. but actually it doesn't. Mm -hmm. Teachers, they want positive feedback and they want negative feedback that will push them to the next level. They want it. So courage Mm -hmm. is what principals need to move to the next level.
0: Thank you for that. What message or quote would you print on one of those quote cups that are sold in big bookstores that would be read by millions of people?
1: If nobody told you they loved you today, you remember I do, and I always will. I will put that quote on every book, on every shelf, at every bulletin board, in every school. That is a quote that sustains my kids long after they leave me. I was just given an award not too long ago, and one of my students who graduated, graduated, graduated from Temple this year actually came to offer some words. And they wanted to know from her, what do you remember about Ms. Wayman? And she did talk about how Ms. Wayman was no nonsense. Ms. Wayman loved us unconditionally. And every day she would say to us, if nobody told you, they loved you today. You remember I do. And I always will. And she was 23 years old. Wow. And so therefore that, because there are so many people, Morgan, Mm-hmm. Who, ask, do we think they are loved? And as parents sometimes, and as educators, we'll say, we love our kids. Mm-hmm. Of course we love our kids. But I always ask my teachers, but do they feel loved, though?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It's, it's different, one, different to say it,
2: mm-hmm.
1: but do they feel it? And if they feel it, then they'll become their best selves. So that is a quote that I would put everywhere if I could. Because it teaches people that everybody's loved.
0: Yes. And I think when I've heard your you speak that that really jumps out and it touches your heart and it stays with you as a heart print kind of that you keep with you. and And I just think that's such a beautiful way to actually end this podcast. So I want to thank you so much, Principal Wayman, for coming on today and joining me in this conversation. It's been illuminating and inspiring, and I can't wait for people to hear the wisdom that you have to share. You've made an incredible difference, and I believe that within our listening base that you'll really touch people to take a look at their leadership style, the way that they educate their students and ask themselves, are they are they really coming from a place of love? And are they able to actually transmit that to their students? And as a result, I think some really incredible things can happen. So thank you very, very much, Principal Wayman.
1: Thank you, Morgan. It's been my pleasure
0: this has been another episode of kind sight 101 the podcast for links to resources mentioned in this episode visit smallactbigimpact.com and click on our podcast and choose this episode number now i'd love to give my audience a heads up about my new book which will provide ideas actionable strategies and inquiry-based approaches to creating a kinder classroom through serving the Your community. Subscribe to my blog for more information. Now show. I would love to hear from you. you think What's the I'm biggest insight that you gain from this like conversation? Head over to our website, smallactbigimpact.com, leave it. a comment on our podcast page, or tag and connect with us on social media with the hashtag smallactbigimpact.com big impact to share your inspiring story of kindness this can't is wait to, to hear from another you. episode of kind Sight 101 the podcast for links to resources mentioned in this episode visit smallactbigimpact.com and click on our podcast and choose this episode number now i'd love to give my audience a heads up about my new book which will provide ideas actionable strategies and inquiry-based approaches to creating kinder classroom through serving the community. Subscribe to my blog for more information. Now I would love to hear from you. What's the biggest insight that you gain from this conversation? Head over to our website, smallactbigimpact.com, leave a comment on our podcast page or tag and connect with us on social media with the hashtag smallactbigimpact to share your inspiring story of kindness Can't wait to hear from you.